Welcome to another edition of Practitioner Radio, Pink Elephant's podcast for the IT management community. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, wherever you're listening. This is George Spaulding and Troy Dumoulin for episode 660 of Practitioner Radio. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, we're recording this on the 28th of August, 2014. Both Troy and I have just... Hey, Troy, you there? I am here, George. I'm glad you checked with uh, me on that. Good. Good Lord, I was <laughs> was wondering where you were. Uh, so anyway, Troy and I just got back from uh, lovely Scottsdale, Arizona, where we only had one day of 114, but we also had monsoon rains. But all in all, it was really lovely there. It's beautiful there in, a, in the beautiful Monte Lucia Resort, where we just held uh, the third annual Pink Forum, the Leadership Conference from Pink Elephant, and it was an amazing success. We had some Great keynotes, lots of in-depth information, great panels, and lots of people, smart people, people who came for leadership content, and that's what we delivered, and that was great. So I was very pleased with it myself, and uh, from the feedback I heard, uh, everyone else was pleased. Uh, Troy, what did you hear about that? I think it was an awesome event on all counts because uh, I probably had more than a dozen people come up to me and say this is a unique event. If you think about it, there are a lot of events out there for general service management and general technology strategy, but that's more kind of futuristic trends, et cetera. There isn't an event out there that deals with the people issue of leadership around IT management uh, and the organizational behavioral change issues that go with that. So it's really kind of a unique niche type of uh, conversation we're having talk about what does it mean to be a leader in a service-based organization and how to develop leaders and some in some cases how do you as a leader uh, enter into the the succession planning and development leadership development process with your own people that was also a part of it which was good all of the above absolutely yeah well that was cool so anyway it's still a lovely it's a lovely summer day where I am in northern Minnesota and you're in you're back in Toronto Yes. Uh, back in your uh, your hometown. So our topic today, and I was uh, curious as I read the topic, the uh, three architectures of a service-based organization. Now, you and I have talked about architecture over the years and talked about enterprise architecture and all of that stuff. I don't think this is what you're talking about here, Troy. So give me a little clue in what we're doing. Well, in the context of the larger principle of architecture, where an architecture is a is a structure of resources and skills that basically are, is governed, managed over time, and evolved. So something that I have to pay attention to from the point of view of setting a direction of future state relative to governance, evaluate, direct, monitor, and then something I have to manage. So what do I have to govern? What do I have to manage is the concept we're kind of focusing on here. So that's where I'm going with this premise of architecture. We've been talking, you and I, and certainly Pink Elephant and every consultant within Pink Elephant has been talking for easily, I my own self, for 15 years, uh, whenever anybody brought up ITIL and whenever we brought up ITIL, about the concept of changing one's organization 
from a technology-based organization, which is traditional IT, into a service-based organization, service-focused organization, a service delivery organization, a service providing organization. And truthfully, that's a big leap to go from a technology-focused and technology-driven organization into this service focus. So I guess the first thing might be, Troy, could you define what a service-focused, service-based organization is? So absolutely. So let me define what it's not. (laughs) So I'll start with what is a technology organization? A technology organization is looking at its technical assets and resources and the skills related to managing those, uh, obviously, you know, the administrative development type skills. But it's really about optimizing and maximizing technology resources so that every year I have a focus on making this technical domain of expertise, whether they're data center or application type you know, domains, databases, network, making it faster, more efficient, and basically more cost-effective and or cheaper to run. Make it faster and, and more efficient. I've achieved my technology strategy, and I can take advantage of new technologies in that context as well. You know, what's the latest whiz-bang thing out there? And it's very much this technology-focused governance and management execution. Now, not to decry that, because that actually is one of the three architectures we're going to manage and have to look at, and that's the three-architecture premise. But a services-based organization, and that's different from a service-focused organization where I just want to be a good service provider to my customer, but a service-based organization is an organization that manages not only the resources or the ingredient components of services, but manages services and their outcomes themselves. So I am managing the life cycle of what is being delivered, the outcome, the result of the capabilities and resources that I'm basically using to supply it. I'm an outcome management focused organization, not only a technology organization. Sometimes I refer to the services based organization as an organization that defines themselves by the services they provide and not in any way the components or the delivery mechanisms of those services. So that the face that they present to the customer and to the public is a face that only shows services. The, the reality is we don't care how you got there. We don't care what you used. It's these services that you're providing, that you're selling, that you're... And is that is that an accurate way of thinking about it? Absolutely. Because, you know, what we are perceived by the outside world is basically who we are. Well, I guess that's actually not quite true. We have the inner us and the outer us. But the reality is if you, if you take, use the analogy of a restaurant, that's often, you know, the analogy we use. You have the Italian restaurant. We have the Asian food. We have, uh, you know, higher end dining. We have low end dining. And we know and can describe that by going to their menu of offer and looking at what types of outcomes they're producing relative to the entrees and or appetizers because I'm going to get a very set of different set of outcomes in my favorite Japanese restaurant than I would get at a steakhouse, for example. So that outcome is the basis for how we define ourselves as an organization. And that outcome is basically expressed in the concept of the products and services we provide. And the price point relative to those, actually. And these would be basically presented to the world in in what we now know as a service catalog. The ingredients, the specific suppliers of those ingredients, the ways we we combine those ingredients, those are not necessarily how we present ourselves to the outside world. They may make us a little bit different and provide a level of differentiation, 
But sometimes, again, we want that to be in the back end. We, that is not necessarily something we want to expose. Okay, so you've talked about a technology architecture briefly, and you've kind of alluded to a services architecture. You haven't really talked about it yet. What's the third architecture? Okay, so to deliver outcomes, we need technical resources. We've already established that. That's well understood by a technology organization. But every organization which delivers service outcomes also has a process architecture. Basically, these are practices of various types that allow us to engage with the customer, understand demand, practices around strategy. Where are we today with our portfolio of current offers? What's on our menu today that doesn't meet needs? What do we not offer that we need to because we have a new type of market we have to penetrate? We have building type practices which take those strategy decisions which are coming from voice of customer initial a demand intake that allow us to create and craft in the back end. Basically, we're talking about the kitchen going on right now, uh, which allow us to enable a front end set of practices for delivery. And that is the concept of you know, the front office servers who are basically serving those services out to our customers. So we have all of these practices, any service organization, whether you ever heard the term or framework of ITIL or not, all have these base concept practices, engagement, strategy, plan build, if you want to use generic terms there, and then run. And we cannot really deliver effective services unless we understand there are three types of architectures to govern and manage. Technology, which is also enabled by process, both of which enable the third architecture, which is a service architecture. So I guess the the ridiculous question for somebody at um, at my level is, well, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? In other words, the we obviously seem to always start with technology, or at least IT traditionally has always started with technology, and in some cases never gotten beyond it, never never moved off of technology. They defined themselves by technology. They spent all their money on technology. They they focused. Uh, on superior technology and claimed that they were getting efficiencies based on only the technology. And then I know that you've been in this long time as I have. So the next thing is, the next thing really would be the process architecture to move from, to add that into the mix of technology? Well, let's start with the premise that every organization already has all of these processes in place. So it's not so much, do I have them or not? Or no, I do, I need to add them. It's what am I paying attention to from what I think is actually valuable to pay attention to from a governance and management perspective. And then is the process architecture somehow either enabling or disabling my overall goal of achieving better market share and improved customer experience and my services consumption? So it's not that a technical organization doesn't have the other two architectures. It's simply not above the waterline for them. They they are not focused on it. So it's basically a detractor most often, not a differentiator. So it's it's really more about paying attention or realizing these things are necessary and valuable than do I have them or not. And certainly with the process architecture that, uh, as we've talked about, uh, you and I have talked about this a long time ago, when we say to somebody, are you doing ITIL? Often the answer will be yes. And then when we go a little deeper into that question, what are you doing? And we find out that they're really not doing much. They're doing incident problem and change. And as they've moved into some of the more complicated stuff, 
They've tried config and it was too hard. They tried service levels and they didn't go at it in the right way or they didn't take a total um, enterprise look at services and service levels. So therefore that kind of fell apart or they breached all their service levels and suddenly everybody said, I never want to hear about service levels again. So it really does, they, they too, they tend to go hand in hand. You can do the easy processes on their own, but as soon as you start getting into the more complicated processes, you also need a reason to drive them. Otherwise you, you kind of lose momentum like config and, and service levels and uh, those types of things are driven by a need to to work towards an outcome based organization. At least that's what I've found. Yeah. So let's let's unpack that word or that term you just used, doing ITIL. So let's for the moment understand that ITIL is a reference model that describes, in quote unquote uh, generic terms, the best way of doing a certain practice or basically enabling a certain capability that's required to deliver services. So some organizations have used ITIL as a reference model and said, okay, we're doing basic support, break-fix support. ITIL would say we should probably need an end-to-end ownership of the incident so that my clock doesn't start ticking every time I pass the ticket to the next queue. And so doing ITIL for them in that context is doing it to a a reference model that describes a better world than they're currently doing. So if you look at it from doing that way, how many organizations have taken the reference model of ITIL and ensure they're doing something at least similar to that? Yes, many organizations don't get beyond the incident problem and change stop conversation. But the reality is there's a couple of reasons for that. A, the organization from a leadership perspective doesn't see the value in the strategy and design and transition processes. Sometimes that's simply because of organizational politics and structure. Because in your experience, George, from a dev and ops perspective, where does ITIL typically come in to the organization as a reference model they want to use? Ops. Ops. So it comes in through run, right? So this is where we got event and access management and incident management. And, um, you know, we've got access. Oh, I always said access, but problem management. We got this really kind of run mentality. And if it gets any further up into the dev or the pre-production world, it's just at the point of move to production, which is where change comes in. Not release, because that would take you further into the life cycle. It stops right there. Uh, And that basically is the reality for most organizations who claim to be doing ITIL, because there is no such thing as a enterprise concept of a value system. There's dev over there, that's the kitchen, and then there's the serving organization over here, and they don't like each other and they don't collaborate. In fact, they're under different executive structures. So when they do ITIL, they can only do ITIL to the point of their political influence or sphere of control. So they might get better at break-fix, better at some basic elements. But when it comes to service level agreements, which require you to actually define services which are beyond infrastructure... Uh, components when it comes to demand portfolio uh, any of the service design or strategy processes there's a constriction here or restriction that's not about ITIL it's about how we view enterprise value streams so they're still doing all of ITIL in the other part of the organization and what I mean by that is they still engage with their customers there's no organization that doesn't have some kind of conversation with their business consumer (laughs) right it probably is broken it's not effective the process might be Something that you might say, well, it's not really a process, it's that person. That's just simply the fact that your process is not institutionalized. It's reflective of an individual, but it's still happening. Someone still has to do some element of cost identification. 
uh, requirements generation, security analysis. It's just they haven't used ITIL as a reference model to say, can I do it better? Even if it's not broken, the process might be immature, at least, at best. Sure. That's why I'm using the word process architecture as a generic term and not ITIL. The process architecture simply says there are a set of generic processes or practices, if you want to use a bigger, higher-end term, that every organization needs. And you may choose to mature any of them based on where your potential for improvement or failure points are. Right. So let's say I go to a restaurant uh, and I'm looking at the menu and there's nothing on the menu my kids will eat. So what is like, what's my likelihood of bringing my family to that restaurant next time I'm in the neighborhood? Zero. Right. So that means that the demand, the market analysis type of practices, the voice of customer engagement conversations aren't functioning well. So that means that I have to do something better within that practice area. So that practice is still there even though it's not functioning, it's, it's just not functioning well. Gotcha. So the process architecture is the generic set of practices that may differentiate me, or in the case that we just used, actually preclude me from getting future business, and they make me lose market share. Well, and I think we've all been in restaurants where some of the, you know, or we've all been places where perhaps the physical place, uh, the physical environment that we were in was not the best, but we would go back to that restaurant because the service was so wonderful and the food was wonderful. And just in general, it felt great. It felt like they were good at running a restaurant, so their processes were actually in place. Whereas if we've been to beautiful places but felt like the processes were not in great shape. So uh, I understand completely where you're coming from. So take that analogy right there. So they've got the best ingredients. They've, they've hired the best technical talent in the, in the kitchen. But there's no common sheet of music for the talent in the back end to work with the talent on the front end. And so the, the experience is terrible, right? They built this wonderful technology environment, but no one wants to eat there. Right, exactly. So that would mean to be a good service organization, I have to pay attention to the process architecture that will basically make me a good supplier or not in your eyes, because technology in its own right is not going to be the total basis for how I make decisions on engaging in this supplier consumer model. Okay, cool. So when you draw this up, are there obviously you're creating what I just heard you create is a dependency in terms of the service architecture on both process and technology. Yeah, so how, here's how the conversation goes, and I flip chart this. In fact, I'll make a slide for the show notes. It's about time I take it off the flip chart. <laughs> it's time, Troy, yeah. it's time. I first draw a box on the flip chart. It's a technical architecture. We understand what that is, right? Technical standards, future state envisionment around technology, adoption, et cetera. We know what it is to manage, govern and manage that. Everyone says, yeah, we've been doing that for years. Okay, would you understand and agree with me that that builds a service architecture? Now I create a box below the technical box with an arrow pointing down. And then I begin to diagram on another flip chart a service architecture that goes right out to the end business product. So an analogy I use, I was at a bank a week ago. Uh, I'm going to order a checkbook because I've depleted all my checks. Uh, so I need a new one. So I go online to a web-based service, a technically enabled service, and I order a new set of checks that eventually will produce in my inbox, on my inbox, in my actual mailbox, this actually a hard copy thing happening here, a new book of checks for me to basically write. So but let's take this back. That's a product. That's the consumable component of a business service provided by the bank, which is enabled by a business process. 
That business service and process are enabled by an IT service, in this case, the online portal for me to go into my banking environment and order, begin the order provisioning process. So there's this web portal that is enabled by back-end services, such as infrastructure services, such as hosting, storage, storage area network, net, you know, database structures, all of that back-end. So picture, if you will, I, I create this kind of product is with the checkbook coming out. It's enabled by a business service, which is enabled by a business process. That's now being enabled by an IT service, which has a product, uh, which is enabled by an IT process within that development environment uh, that developed this system. That's enabled by an infrastructure or technical service, which has a product, in essence, a server, right, which is supported by a service called hosting, which is supported by a process. So this end-to-end service architecture is the enablement capability that I have to look at and understand to basically understand how does a checkbook actually get to my physical mailbox. And question, George, would it make sense not to understand that dependency model? Well, we have to. And, and what you're describing, I assume, is basically the value chain. But basically, we have to understand every piece of that. But right now, I'm not sure we do. I think that what happens from the technological side is the technology folks have a set of criteria that they have to meet. And once they meet those criteria from a technical standpoint, then they kind of wash their hands of it and say, we met our, we did our bit. And that now, it's, now it's up to you, baby, kind of thing. Well, it's even a bit more tragic than that because in design, an architect, a real architect here, has to model the business process right down to the lowest end technology component and even model the data layer and the data interchange between devices and resources. I have to design that service architecture because I can't build it unless I get the whole picture. You follow me? So I create these, these really complex UML architecture diagrams, modeling the entire system entities uh, and their dependent relationships so that I actually can build it according to the blueprint uh, my recipe for this systems design. I create and design with systems and understanding of the service architecture. I build it, I test it like that, but then I put it into a production environment, which is now a technical culture. What happens to the organizational knowledge of the service architecture once it goes live? I don't know. It completely is let let go and evaporates into thin air. Really? Though I, ev- I created it, in context, I know you're being sarcastic here, but the moment I put it into production, because I'm a technical organization not understanding I have to manage the ongoing service architecture, I literally let all of that organizational knowledge go and now manage every technical component and domain as if it lives in mythical isolation. So if so, let's just say that a customer complains about something on the service end of things. This doesn't meet my needs, or this doesn't do this, or this doesn't do that. Are you saying in some ways that our response is therefore to try and fix the technical architecture? If we don't have a mature understanding of the service architecture and service requirements, that's often the case, or there's a mismatch of conversation. Now, this comes back to the third architecture, right? Any service has a process architecture, any service organization has a process architecture, which takes initial demand, understands requirements, builds that into the initial build. But there's the same practices that were involved in the initial requirements generation, customer engagement, voice of customer development, would also be able to translate 
a mismatch of feature and non-functional requirements for improvement. They would re-engage in design conversations and look at 2.0 for this product, right? So we either didn't get the requirements right the first time or there's been a new set of requirements generated by use, and I have to engage the same strategy and design practices that I engaged in the first time built. Again, we're, we're engaging a set of practices that are part of a process architecture or an operating model for a company. Because to deliver service outcomes, we need all three architectures. A technical architecture and a process architecture combined to both, in combination, deliver a service architecture. And to not <laughs> manage two out of the three core architectures is basically trying to guess at what my customers want in the menu and, and, and not understanding how to maintain and retain customers and make sure that the restaurant is viable in the next 10 years. So, so let's talk about what, okay, let's, uh, I'm, as I'm listening to this, I, I'm, I'm troubled with the concept of ownership because now what we're really, because what I'm really asking is what about who owns this? Because ah. uh, uh, to me, I would have separate owners for technology, certainly separate owners for process and separate owners for service. And we're talking about having this, in essence, use a restaurant analogy, have it be one chef. Yeah, well, there's a super chef, and then there are sous chefs, okay? Yep. Right, they'll follow this analogy. So in my picture that I'll put on here, the three boxes, technical with a line down to service architecture, below service architecture, another box, process architecture with a line up to <laughs> service architecture. You got that. Now put a box around all of the three and we're going to use the word accountability around the entire thing. So now we have accountabilities for all three elements of architecture. Right now I have accountabilities established for technical. I know who to talk to for the technical domain, but I don't know who owns a service outcome on a life cycle basis. And I don't necessarily understand who owns a certain practice area like project management or me, but I don't understand who does break fix or probably more likely, I know the 10 people who own break fix. So I've got 10 sous chefs all trying to do this from a different perspective, which is a problem. So establishing accountability is the next element of management here. So we've got to set accountability around this. And then the box expands one more time there's accountability around all three. And then a box around accountability is leadership, where the organization is realizing we're in a complete value system and that to create outcomes our customers want now and in the future, we need to basically establish a governance and management around all three architectures, not just one, which is where a technical organization will face focus, even though they have all three already. They're just not managing two out of three. And then the leadership to bring the attitude and behavior of the organization to this point. This is pretty tough, Troy. I mean, it's. I think it has to be done. Are there any other research organizations that have that have commented on this or or have viewed this in the same way? Well, you know, Gardner talks about the services organization. They've done research on this. They've moved away. Well, I shouldn't say this. They talk about both domain tower expertise, but also the service organization. That's part of that. Uh, there's a recent book out that's called B4B Business for Business. The actual book is B4B, and it's talking about supplier integration and maturity from an outside widget provider to an internal advisor and strategic partner in these value systems. So there's different groups talking about it, all from different angles. But it's this premise of moving from a technical-focused organization to a service outcome-focused organization. 
And in terms of external providers, are we where do they fit into this little this little matrix that you're building? Okay, so all three architectures have potential for externalization, right? Based on commoditization, standardization, it just makes more physical and logical sense to sometimes buy power from an external vendor versus generating our own power, right? That's the Nicholas Carr conversation. Sure. As infrastructure services specifically become more commoditized and more publicly available, like the public grid, there's more and more externalization. Even services, you know, that's what cloud and SaaS has brought to us, the fact that we're now into total service outsourcing, whether that's payroll as a service. I was with a customer recently that has done, they do all the internal trading, but for international trading, they use a third party to basically enable their banking international trading execution. So that's a service outsource in the service architecture, but it still is in the bank's overall service architecture, though they've externalized it. Practices, we might choose to externalize a practice like DBAs or project management or um, information security or support. But just because I externalize any of those practices for whatever logical reason doesn't mean I say, okay, now you've externalized this, I don't, I'm no longer accountable for it. No, the opposite is true. I have to bring them in, adopt them into the family circle And if you're in the family, then you're sitting at the family table, then we all better share beliefs, values, and practices. Otherwise, we have a very very disharmony uh, meal. I understand that completely. In other words, once you've got one vision of the value chain and the value proposition, it doesn't really matter who's providing it in the end. It's just that everybody has to play by the same rules. And they have the same score, the same sheet of music, and where they come in on the sheet of music based on their role. Yeah. And they can come in on all three architectures. Okay. Well, Troy, you know, uh, I don't know whether you're watching the clock, but I am. And we've, uh, we've managed to fill uh, more than our allotted time. So we're, uh, we're already over our 30-minute mark. Anyway, um, I'm hoping that you're going to uh, do more about this topic and maybe on your blog, the uh, Don't Panic blog. And uh, I hope that uh, we can see more along these lines. Uh, lots to talk about and lots to think about as the world of IT uh, expands, shall we say, and into not just external services, but also uh, taking a whole different look at what it is we do in IT. Some final comments, Troy? Well, what is not defined cannot be controlled. What is not controlled cannot be measured. What is not measured cannot be improved. If we're blindly managing two out of three core architectures, uh, we probably can't expect to be in business too much longer. Well, we've been doing it this way and and people aren't happy. <laughs> and the problem is we don't longer have a captured audience. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for Practitioner Radio episode number 60, um, the three architectures of a service-based organization. Thanks a lot, Troy. We'll do it again. Thank you, George. Thank you, George.